I'm Hillary McClure, podcast host at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. To learn more about Before, visit knowbefore.com. Hey, Roger, welcome. Great to be speaking with you. Great to be speaking with you, and thanks everyone for showing up each week to listen to us banter. <laughs> well, I think we have some good banter for everyone this week and a really interesting story to kick off this episode for us, Roger, because a hacker apparently used deep fake AI technology to emulate the voice of Avenged Sevenfold's lead singer, M. Shadows, and announced to their fans on a podcast that they were canceling some of their upcoming festival appearances. So really big, you know, confusion for fans of Avenged Sevenfold, as well as uh, for the band. So, Roger, what are your thoughts here? And what are we looking at in terms of deep fake and what I believe is still called deep voice usage in the future? Well, I I think I have to ask the question that everyone wants to know, which is, Hillary, are you a big Avenged Sevenfold fan? It's actually, I actually do listen to them, not recently, but like, like probably in the uh, 2010s, I I did listen to them. I listen to them at the gym if I'm like doing heavy lifting. (laughs) So (laughs) I actually do know their their music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're a pretty, pretty good band. I I, I tell you what, what was interesting about this to me, and again, this was a hacker that broke into, apparently, and this is all according to the band and the article that a hacker broke into, I think their Twitter account or some account was able to post this video or podcast text, uh, I'm sorry, voice, like you said, deep voice, deep fake voice, um, claiming that their two of their upcoming concerts were uh, canceled. And, you know, I, I tell you, they, these, you know, fake voices are really easy to make uh, these days, uh, matter of fact, even at our, our we have a, a daily morning meeting at No Before, and uh, just today our CEO did a deep fake voice of of uh, some of our evangelists like us saying things that they really didn't say, and it was amazing how close it was to the person's voice. So it, you know, it's a really accessible deep fake technology today, which calls into question any of the voice uh, recognition authentication that's really popular with banks and, and and things like that. But yeah, so in this case, the imposter broke into one of their accounts, uh, official accounts, which gives some legitimacy to the, then the uploading of this voice podcast saying, Hey, we had to cancel. We're, you know, what I thought, what I really found amazing was not only that the voice was fake, not only that the hacker, you know, broke into one of their accounts, but also it just sounded really legitimate. You know, it, it, it was coming from this lead singer and it was like, hey, tracks listeners, we're so sorry to bring the bad news to you, but I wanted you to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. We've had some unexpected delays on the new album and have decided to cancel our appearances at Welcome to Rockville and Sonic Temple to focus on finishing it up. It breaks our heart to do this, but some things have to be, you know, have to be done. I understand this is di- disappointing news and we're sorry truly sorry for any inconvenience this may have caused and just on and on where to me, the most important part of this was that the, the context and the text and maybe, you know, it seems really likely that a lead singer of a band having to cancel some dates because they're not ready was, you know, it sounded amazingly realistic. It, It wasn't like some of the deep fakes, you know, previous good, quote unquote, good deep fakes, you know, would have the Ukrainian president saying, you know, 
We're giving up, turn yourself in, just saying things that are just completely not realistic. This was something that was, you know, who cares about whether a band canceled? You know, the only people that the hacker and the only people that care about this are band fans, right? So it was kind of this low value target. Still, you know, you're attacking a, you know, a nationally globally known band that's been around for decades. And then the text was just really, I thought, wow, whoever did this really had, you know, some some good information. Then I think, okay, did they do it like a chat GPT? Did they say, hey, chat chat GPT, you know, write me up, uh, you know, a letter of us having to cancel some concerts because we're concentrating on the album. I mean, because what came back really seemed very thoughtful, well-crafted. And that to me was some of the most important points out of this. It's just that it wasn't crude. It wasn't something stupid. You know, this was a real deep fake that could have fooled some people. I don't know what the hacker got out of this other than the satisfaction of knowing that they caused some, you know, they, they had messed with the system. But, uh, you know, I also think, again, that just overall, just recognize that voice recognition authentication is probably going to be one of your ongoing, one of your weaker forms of authentication, no matter what the voice recognition vendors tell you. Um, and I would, you know, I wouldn't say that I have a lot, there's a lot of people listening that may have voice recognition technology that they rely upon or deploy. It doesn't mean you have to get rid of it. Just realize that it by itself as an authentication factor is losing, will lose its strength over time. Uh, because, you know, people can record voices and do these deep fake, deep voice fakes. And that at the very least, you should always pair any voice recognition technology with some other types of authentication proofs. And uh, like, for example, when I call my stock investing company, they use voice recognition technology and they, they always go, you know, I apply, I go through the little call tree and then they, Mr. Grimes, you've been validated, you know, by your voice. And, I think that's great, but I also am comforting that they they also are usually um, making sure that I'm using coming from the correct phone number. But of course, that can be fake too. A lot of times before they make a trade on my behalf or something, they're asking me to confirm some other information. So that's what I would say to any company that's using voice recognition technology, make sure that you're pairing it with other authentication factors. And let me say voice recognition is a weak factor. Phone number recognition is a weak factor. Anybody can fake phone numbers. Uh, and so, you know, just be aware that, you know, these are not these, you know, state of the art, incredible authentication factors that the vendors selling these products make them out to be. They're not, doesn't mean you need to throw them away, but just realize that they have the limitations. And I, let me say, I also think over time, it's going to be very difficult for any of these voice recognition technologies to prove to us that they can tell the difference between a real person and a, and a deep fake, you know, and, and maybe part of it, maybe the part of the voice recognition technology that comes out of it is that they'll tell you to say, say purple people eaters today. Next time you call, it says, say three blind mice. Next time say avenge sevenfold, you know, maybe that's part of how they get it is that, you know, perhaps some of the deep fake technologies, won't have the the thing the person is supposed to say ready to go but you know eventually over time they're going to be able to make voice recognition systems and voice fake systems that can say anything they want them to say at any time and so i expect 
over the near term, over the next five to 10 years, I expect voice recognition technology to have a very difficult time competing in the authentication space overall. And this is just yet another example of it. And I, and I applaud the way that, you know, Vin Sevenfold responded to fans and did the research and stuff like that. Of course, you know, part of that, you got to find, how do we get hacked in the first place? You know, that's, that's a big one as well. Yeah, definitely. And this story made me remember a story that I also saw recently, which was um, David Guetta, who's like a French DJ and uh, a producer. He shared a video of himself playing a song during one of his sets, and he had used AI technology to add the, the voice of Eminem to one of his songs. And I guess what he had done, I don't know what program he was using, but he had asked for that program to... Um, write lyrics in the style of Eminem about a future rave. And then he played it and he's like, obviously I won't release this commercially, but I think it was probably pretty wild for Eminem to hear that because it's like him, but he didn't say it. So it's just wild. Yeah. Yeah. The whole jet, you know, chat GPT and AI and, and really the, the sons and daughters of chat GPT is going to be some interesting challenges. That's for sure. Well, the next topic for this week's episode of Cyber Grimes is one that I saw you share on LinkedIn, Roger. Um, according to No Before's 2022 State of Employee Compliance Training Report, nearly half of survey respondents ranked completion percentage and employee engagement as their number one challenge. So based on that finding and more, of course, you all at No Before have put out a great infographic on 10 tips for running a successful compliance training program. So Roger, do you want to take us through these tips and anything else you'd like to share on the subject? Yeah. You know, I got to tell you overall, I'm not always the, I don't always love infographics uh, because they, they seem sometimes to be a hodgepodge of just, you know, standalone facts that have nothing related to each other. I actually really, really love this infographic and not just because we created it, but uh, I don't even know who made it, but I want to applaud them. It's, I think it's really well done. Probably somebody on my team was involved and I'm not even making that up, but I love, you know, that they're telling you, okay, here's what a lot of people say is some of the biggest problems of running a security awareness training or successful compliance training program. You know, number one is just getting people to take it. Uh, I, I didn't, I wouldn't have thought, you know, thought that I, you know, I think a lot of companies that put out these training programs would say, hey, you got to take this. And if you don't, you know, you get fired or something like that. Um, but, you know, obviously it's a big deal to get people to take these compliance programs. And that's OK. I see that now. That's number one. Number two is just the user engagement of how they do or don't like it and how they interact with it. You know, those are, I think, two really big, you know, truly two big challenges. And that's nice to know. So that you can, you know, if I'm running a compliance training program, I'm going to take those two number ones, maybe the top two or three or four things and say, okay, this is what I have to make sure I get right. You know, like people aren't complaining as much about the reporting, you know, or executive support. They apparently have that as the, these other things. And so I think that was a really good way of saying, uh, you know, if you put out a compliance training program, you know, your biggest problems are going to be user engagement and training completion percentage. And what are you going to do to, to counteract that? And certainly at Know Before, we have lots of ideas, including making it mandatory, uh, having auto automating the follow-up reminders, uh, getting the employee supervisor involved when they haven't completed it. You know, when you make a supervisor responsible for getting all their employees to do it, you know, that, that has a really good chance of being successful. 
Uh, you know, another big uh, complaint that I sometimes hear that I didn't see on this was people saying, how can I convince management to do it? You know, and that always shocks me because I'm like, do they not know what ransomware is doing? <laughs> you know, and although this is compliance training versus security awareness training, so it's slightly different. But, you know, I'm like, like, how could executive and executive management is almost always required by some regulation to do compliance training. Like, I don't know how, you know, it, it shocks me that people still have a hard time convincing executives that they need to get it done. Because uh, I just say, show them what ransomware has done to every, you know, to companies within your same industry. But the other thing I like is that the infographic said, hey, here's the 10, you know, the 10 effective compliance steps that a good successful compliance training program should go through. And let me run through them. Number one, engage a steering committee. So you have a steering committee that helps figure out what your compliance training program should look like. Get leadership to buy into your plan for sure. You need to get executive support. To get executive support, you need to, you know, convince executives about the return on investment and how to do risk avoidance. Number three was recruit a team of employees to help give you feedback. And that, you know, that, uh, you're recruiting a team of employees to tell you what an effective compliance training program would look like. That's really important. You go to college and school and they always tell you, make sure you don't skip the end user. Uh, you know, make them part of whatever your program is that you're rolling out. But it's amazing how many companies don't involve the end users, even though it's supposed to be like this integral step. I've even heard some managers tell me, why would I involve the end users? I know what's good for them. Well, that's because it's always smart. You don't always, if you're not an end user, you don't always know what they need, even if you think they did. Number four said balance buying versus building. And that was you know, some companies like to do it all on their own, make their own videos, make their own training stuff versus buying it, like buying it from No Before or something. And I really like that because, you know, you think No Before would say, you should buy everything. You should buy all of your compliance training, you know, from us. But what we're saying is balance it, you know, create the right mix of in-house versus, you know, buying existing branded content. So I like that. I like that they, that No Before itself recognized that, you know, hey, you're going to make some you're going to buy some, you need a combination of both for a successful compliance training program. Uh, it also said, you know, uh, number five here, compliance content for users on the goal, go. And no, before that's, we really had this mobile app, which we're really proud of that allows anybody to take any of the security awareness training or compliance training content on their mobile phone. Well, today's world is a mobile first world. And so, you know, if you pick something, uh, you know, it's nice that it works on mobile phones where most people are watching most of the videos and streaming today. Number six was measure, use data to measure. And that's, you know, you, you're going to have some people that do the compliance and the security awareness training and some people that don't, some people that fail simulated phishing uh, test and some that don't. And if you don't have the data, you won't know uh, how to figure out who did what, who took what, how even just end user surveys about how much they like the training content. A big part of what we always do whenever we do training is tell the end users, how did you like the quality of the content? How did you like the pace and the length of the content? You know, we want to know, do end users like or hate particular types of content? That's important in helping you to run a successful compliance training program. Number seven was all for high quality content. That's for sure. Uh, you need you know, you need high quality content, not low quality content that people don't like or don't care or don't have somebody with a monotone voice like me talking about computer security. 
Number eight, uh, use a variety of content and formats. For sure, we like to say, you know, you should make your training like marketing. It should be frequent and entertaining. If you think about any of the brands that you're familiar with on TV, they don't just show you the commercial once. They show you the commercial all the time, over and over. Most of them are funny in some way or entertaining in some way. Your compliance training, security awareness training program should be the same way. Have different types of content and format to be entertaining. Number nine, we said use gamification. And that's just, you know, uh, people like when you gamify, when you make it into a game of, hey, make sure you can, you know, here's a quiz and see how well you do in the quiz or uh, simulated fishing testing is kind of a game you know, where people go, can you spot the fish? And it's part of the training, right? And it's even part of the training where people expect that you may fish them. And so they're looking out for fishes. And we have, you know, one of the most common things we'll hear is someone will report a real fish as a test fish. They're like, hey, I caught your test fish, but it wasn't a test fish. It was a real fish. So user gamification is a really good thing. And number 10 is train more frequently. The average compliance training program trains once a year. The average security awareness training program trains once a year. And our statistics show from over 10 years of customers that training only once a year, as is usually legally required, uh, is almost no difference in, in, in reducing risk than not training at all. We don't see a significant reduction in cybersecurity risk until you do training at least once a quarter, and really the sweet spot is at least once a month. Uh, we recommend that everybody get longer training when they first get hired, and then annually thereafter, maybe 30, 45 minutes of training, and then every month they get a couple of minutes of training, uh, and only by doing aggressive, frequent, redundant, entertaining, differing content types of training will you get a super successful compliance training program or security awareness training program. Uh, so if you're running a compliance training program, security awareness training program, I really think it's, you know you should download our infographic. It, it has a lot of really good, useful information on that one page. And I applaud uh, No Before. You know, I, it's, it's funny. I don't always like everything that comes out of No Before. I don't always like every infographic, but I really, really love this one. And I think it's useful to anyone that's running a compliance training program. Roger, thank you so much for joining me. And I just appreciate you taking the time as always. And this was a fun episode. Thank you, Hillary. And thanks everybody for listening in. I'm Hillary McClure, podcast host at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today was Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Know Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. 